0: We turn again to God's Word this morning. I'm thankful for Pastor Kiefer for preaching last week while I was away, but we return to our series in Ephesians this morning. And we are in Ephesians chapter 6 in the home stretch, if you will, in our study of this book. Paul has been reminding us in this chapter, throughout chapter 6, of the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in as well as of the armor that God has given us and equipped us with to protect us in this life. Two weeks ago, we looked specifically at the, uh, the pieces of armor that our God has given us, at that belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the readiness of the gospel, and the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we saw from Scripture that this armor is really the very character of God lived out in the life of Jesus Himself. That that God in His goodness gave this armor to Christ. And now in His graciousness has provided us with the same armor that we might stand firm in Him. That's where we were two weeks ago. Now we want to look at Paul's concluding comments about how to use God's armor Effectively in verses 18 to 20. If you're looking in the bulletin, I uh, arrived back in the office and neglected to note that I had the wrong verse lifted, li- listed there. We're just going to look at verses 18 through 20 this morning. Let's just read these verses from God's Word together. Verse 18 begins: having listed the armor of God, Paul says, praying This is God's word. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would apply it to our hearts and work it out in our lives this morning that we might be more like you for the glory of your name. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. And when you think of battle or maybe a sporting event, athletes, soldiers, prepare. For the conflict ahead, they focus on what they are about to engage in. And I know sports better than I know warfare, and I can say that when it comes to athletes, athletes are creatures of habit and routine when it comes to preparing for the games they are about to play. The vast majority of athletes have set warm-up routines that they repeat in detail every game. They, they go through the same stretches or the same warm-ups. They make sure every time that they don't step on the foul line on their way into the dugout, or they, they always hit the same banner on the way into the stadium. Some athletes have more unique rituals that help them focus for a game. Brian Erlacher was a all-pro uh, bowl linebacker for the Chicago Bears, and he shares that For his entire career, he prepared for every single game by eating two Girl Scout cookies before the game. Not sure what that did, but it helped him focus. Jason Terry was a point guard in the NBA for many years, and he early in his career purchased or otherwise obtained an official pair of shorts from every team in the NBA, and he always slept the night before every game in the shorts of the team he was about to play. He claims now that it helped him get into his opponent's heads. I guess it worked for him. He did win a title one year, so we'll see. But, you know, routines like these are random. But the routines and the rituals that the players would go through were their attempt to focus and prepare for the game ahead. And there's a key principle here. If you're an athlete, you don't show up and win just because you have a bat in your hand or a helmet on your head. You need to be prepared. You need to be focused. You need to be ready to use the equipment that you've been given effectively. And when we come to Ephesians 6:18 to 20, that's really Paul's point as well. He's just told us about God's armor, which is God's provision for our spiritual well-being. But just because there's armor there doesn't guarantee that we will use it effectively. And the key to putting on this armor and using it effectively is a life of prayer. Pastor and author Sinclair Ferguson put it this way. He said, prayer in Ephesians 6 is not seen as part of the armor of God, but it describes the manner in which the armor is to be put on and worn by the believer. Prayer is the atmosphere in which we are to live the Christian life. It is its all-embracing, constant characteristic. In other words, how are we to take up the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit? How are we to use them in this spiritual battle? The answer is through prayer. And as we look at these three verses, Paul gives us six characteristics that should mark our prayers. And I want to look at each of these characteristics briefly this morning. So let's begin right where Paul begins. There in verse 18, you see the first characteristic, we are to pray at all times. In other words, prayer is not something we do from time to time, but at all times. Now, to pray at all times does not mean that we are to walk around sort of praying under our breath every second. Rather, praying at all times suggests that all areas of life and all periods of life are to be bathed in prayer. In fact, I think Paul's comment here, praying at all times, is not strictly a comment about the quantity of our prayers, although that's certainly implied, it's more a comment about a lifestyle. In which all that we do is brought before God and done completely in dependence on God. If we were to ask the question, what are we missing if we do not live a life of prayer? The answer is we miss communion with God, we miss rest in God, reliance on God, strength from God. If we ask why do we need prayer so desperately at all times in life, the answer is that prayer is how we commune with God, and, and communing with God is how we are encouraged and strengthened, comforted, sustained, corrected, made aware of His steadfast love and His heart of affection for us in Christ and all of the varied circumstances in life. Prayer is how we come to be in conversation with our God. I think this is why this command to pray at all times is not unique here in Ephesians. Maybe you think of Paul's words to the Thessalonians when he says that they should pray without ceasing. Or maybe you think of Jesus who encouraged his disciples with a parable and as he was about to relate the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, Luke says, Jesus told them this parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. From Jesus and from the apostles we are called to this lifestyle. That prayer be the constant mark of the believer at all times. So that is the first characteristic of our prayers. It is to mark us at all times. But then second, Paul says prayer we ought to pray in the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit. And this is not to suggest that prayer is some sort of mystical experience. It's not to suggest that prayer is a a spiritual tongue or, or a special blessing of the Spirit. Rather, to pray in the Spirit is to pray with the help of the Spirit and with the words of the Spirit. In fact, Paul has demonstrated this very thing for us throughout the book of Ephesians. We've seen several of Paul's prayers and examples of how he prays. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul told the Ephesians that he does not cease to remember them in his prayers. And then he goes on to pray for them. And what is the first thing he says in that prayer? He prays that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. How does prayer begin? Praying that the spirit would give us a knowledge of God. Then in chapter 3, Paul again prays for the Ephesians and he begins that prayer praying that God would strengthen them through His Spirit in their inner being to comprehend the extent of Christ's love. His prayers begin with a prayer that the Spirit of God would be with them and would enable them in their prayers to know God and His love. Maybe you think also of Romans chapter 8 when Romans chapter 8 talks about our suffering And our weakness. Paul says that the Spirit of God helps us in our prayers, interceding for us when we do not know what to pray. So first, when Paul talks about praying in the Spirit, to pray in the Spirit is to look to the Spirit first, the Spirit who dwells in us and who has access to the very mind of God And it is to ask the Spirit to help us when we don't know what to pray, to strengthen us to know God and the love of Christ as we pray, and to give us a growing knowledge of God and wisdom from God and His Word to guide us as we pray. This is to pray in the Spirit. But to pray in the Spirit is also to pray with the words of the Spirit. Well, what what are the words of the Spirit? Where do we find the words of the Spirit? We find them in Scripture. And so as Sinclair Ferguson puts it again, he says, to pray in the Spirit means submitting our thoughts, our mind, our will, our desires to be influenced and mastered by the Word of God. When we are influenced and mastered by the Word of God in our lives, then we begin to think God's thoughts after Him. We develop instincts that are aligned to His will because they are aligned to His Word that the Spirit has spoken to us we begin to ask for those things that he has revealed please him and the, to ask for the things that he promises to do in other words as our minds and our hearts are bathed with the word of god our prayers then become guided by and influenced by and mastered by and directed by the words of god and we begin to pray with all of our requests and our confessions and our praises, based on who God is and what He has told us and what He has promised to us in His own words, this is to pray in the Spirit. And as so I was thinking about this, I thought, well, maybe maybe a practical example might be of help. And I was thinking, have you, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been anxious or worried about something, and your first thought is, well, I should pray about this. But as you turn to pray about the thing you're worried about, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. As you start to pray, you find that it doesn't seem to be helping, but it actually seems to just be continuing your anxieties and, and, and your fears. Several years ago, I had some health symptoms that I was worried about, and the more I prayed about them, the more that I seemed to be consumed by them. Instead of comforting me, it seemed to be adding to my Anxiety. And I was helped immensely when someone pointed out that often when we pray, we may start by addressing God, but then we simply return to mentally rehearsing all of the things that are consuming our hearts and our minds. And then prayer does not become an opportunity to go before God, but it just becomes another chance to run through and be consumed by all the things that are worrying us or overwhelming us. But praying in the Spirit... It's a matter of bringing our anxieties and requests to God and then rehearsing what He has told us about Himself and His promises from His Word with the words His Spirit has inspired so that we can receive comfort and peace in the specific situation we're praying about because our focus after we bring our requests to God is no longer on our problems but upon God. Now our prayers focus on Him and His sovereignty, And His promise that He is with us and will never leave us. His promise that He works all things for good for those who are called according to His purposes. And so praying in the Spirit is to bring our needs and our requests and our anxieties to God. But then it is to not focus on our problems, but to focus on God Himself and the words He's given us by His Spirit. And as we turn to look at Him, then we can find comfort and hope as we commune in His presence so we pray at all times we pray in the spirit with the help of the spirit and the words of the spirit third paul says that we are to pray with all prayer and supplication now the word for prayer there is particularly a word for for bringing requests or need before the lord so prayer and supplication in some ways are paul stacking up words that both refer to bringing needs and requests or petitions before the Lord all our requests all our needs all our petitions all our intercessions for one another are to be made to the Lord I love how Paul Miller in his book The Praying Life urges us to pray specifically not generally about everything in life not just about some things in life And if there is a need or a concern in our life or another's life, we should pray about it. We should pray about it specifically. For there's nothing too mundane to pray for and nothing so big that prayer is not the right posture for the believer. And I think the principle that Paul's telling us is this. In order to be equipped for the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in, We need to be ready to bring every request, every petition, every situation, every need before the Lord, to lay at His throne, boldly asking Him, and yet completely trusting His sovereign decision and response. So we're to pray at all times, in a lifestyle of prayer, we're to pray in the Spirit, and we're to pray with all prayers, supplications, and petitions. Next, fourth characteristic, Paul says, to that end, or in order that we might pray at all times in the Spirit, Paul says, keep alert with all perseverance. In other words, there is a commitment, a pressing on, a watchfulness that is necessary if we are going to pray at all times. And this alert perseverance in prayer is so important. In fact, I think if I were to speak for myself and I would guess for many of us here we all desire to pray and we all do pray and there are certainly times in our life when we pray with particular fervor but what is often lacking is that we often pray diligently and then fall off we will pray with focus for a season and then we become perhaps more lax but Jesus also connects prayer with diligent watchfulness. You remember how he asked the disciples to pray with him in the the garden of Gethsemane, and yet they continued to fall asleep. And we don't don't get the detailed play-by-play of how things went down there, but I imagine the scene this way. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him and says, pray with me, watch with me. And Peter, James, and John watch and pray with him diligently for about five minutes. Of course, it's, it's midnight and their eyes are heavy and they're tired. And so without even realizing it, it's not that they make a specific decision to go to sleep. They just, in their tiredness, were praying and then they found themselves sleeping. And we can probably relate to that. Their eyes grow heavy. But what does Jesus say to Peter? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that is exactly our experience. None of us only desire a tiny bit of prayer. Our spirit, I think, desires to commune with God and to pray diligently, but the flesh is weak. We are distracted and we're, we're tired and, and we are pulled away by the things of this world. And so Jesus says that this keeping alert watching, praying with perseverance is necessary. He says it's necessary so that we don't enter temptation, which I think is a striking comment, because what it implies is that our temptations and sins increase due to our lack of prayer, and that a lifestyle of keeping alert in prayer at all times in the Spirit with all supplications is our best defense against temptation in sin, as well as our, our best recourse to help and strength when we need it. Of course, perseverance isn't easy. That's why it's called perseverance. Perseverance means continuing, making a decision to continue with focus and effort in the face of obstacles, weariness, disappointments. I was listening to a podcast recently interviewing Steve Messler, Many of you may not know that name, but Steve decided when he was 11 years old that he was going to compete in the Olympics. He says there's a picture of him at three years old, dressed in a Team USA outfit, but it was 11 years old that he made the decision he would compete, and he dedicated six years of training in middle school and high school to track and field, culminating in being the national champion in high school as a decathlete. He entered the recruitment process for college. He was heavily recruited, but he chose to attend Florida University because he thought that it gave him the best track to the Olympics. But then for four straight years, each season, he suffered an injury that set him back. For four years, he persevered, working diligently to recover from those injuries and come back to compete, only to be injured again. And at age 21, after 10 years of commitment, it became obvious that his track career was over. So what did he do? Well, he made the natural decision for everyone who track doesn't work out. He tried out for bobsledding. <laughs> and after 10 years of training as a bobsledder, Steve Messler was a member of the 2010 U.S. gold medal bobsledding team, the first U.S. gold medal in bobsledding in 62 years. 21 years after his Olympic commitment as an 11-year-old, through injury, switching sports, pursuing opportunities, he won the gold medal. That's perseverance. And if a person was willing to persevere like that over a little gold medallion... How much more ought we be willing and eager to persevere for the sake of our souls, for the sake of sanctification and righteousness and the glory of God, for the sake of standing firm in a spiritual battle, when, as Jesus said to Peter, Satan is desiring to sift God's people and to wreck and make a shipwreck of our faith. So, brothers and sisters. May we pray with alertness and perseverance. Paul then says fifthly, fifth characteristic, prayer should be made for all the saints. See, prayer is not only for ourselves. We are also called consistently to pray for one another. Elsewhere in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul calls on us to pray with supplications, petitions, intercessions, and thanksgivings for all people, including kings and those who are in authority over us. And Paul leads by example. He prays for every church he writes to. He invites them to pray for him. He shares specific needs for fellow saints and prays for them. You know, as I was thinking about prayer I mentioned two weeks ago that probably every single one of us at some point in children's Sunday school colored a coloring page of the armor of God but have you never noticed that those coloring pages always show just one soldier it's one person in the armor of God but Paul here is describing not just a single soldier he commands us as part of applying God's armor to pray for all the saints. In other words, prayer is the weapon of an army fighting together, not just an individual soldier going out to face his foe. And I can only imagine the strength and the solid joy and the endurance of the church if every single one of us as God's people would be praying for every single one of us as God's people. If we enter steadfastly in prayer making supplication for all the saints for one another with endurance as God's people together lift one another up we are fighting together we are putting on God's armor together and just like in any warfare an army will be far more successful than an individual soldier facing a foe well finally Paul concludes by asking for prayer for himself in verses 19 and 20. But in asking for prayer for himself, Paul is not really focused on himself for his own sake. His requests are that they would pray for his efforts in evangelism. You see his words there, pray for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul prays and asks for prayer for the same thing in Colossians chapter 4. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer and pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. And this is a summons to be praying for our missionaries and praying for each other that we might be bold to declare the gospel. We are to pray at all times for all the saints, but we should always be reserving as part of that time specific prayer for our missionaries, not only for their specific repre- requests, but that God would give them words to speak and boldness, boldness to declare the gospel, and that God would open a door and bear fruit for their work. Because God uses the prayers of His people as an instrument to accomplish His purposes and draw people to Himself. And so brothers and sisters, if we look at these verses, we see six characteristics of prayer, which is how we put our armor on. It is how we prepare to fight with the armor that God has given us. We're to pray at all times in the Spirit with all petitions and supplications, with all perseverance for all the saints and for our missionaries in the bold proclamation of the Gospel. And my hope this morning is that these verses would strengthen us and the reminder that prayer is not just a helpful coping mechanism. Prayer is not a routine to start our meals and end our day. Prayer is not the equivalent of a Christian's pregame ritual for life. No, prayer, prayer is our invitation to communion with God. Prayer is the attitude or lifestyle by which God's armor comes to life that we might stand firm. Prayer is the resource God has given us as a church to draw near to Him and to lift one another up to Him that we might strengthen one another in Him. Prayer is our expression of dependence upon the Lord and the way that we take rest in Him and find strength in Him. Prayer is our defense against temptation and a chief tool in obedience and in our sanctification. Prayer, prayer is like the windmill catching the blowing wind of the Spirit of God and then energizing evangelism and missions. And As Ferguson puts it one more time, no stronghold of Satan is safe from the remotest saint who knows what it is to pray. And so may we be encouraged, encouraged in prayer and by the blessing of prayer. But I will have to say that this is a hard topic to preach in because I don't feel that I live up to this myself. I know my own weakness. I find myself resonating with John Stott's comment on this verse that most of us pray sometimes with some prayers and some degree of perseverance for some of God's people. We've replaced the alls with sums. And the call to us is to replace the sums with alls. And that should convict us. But my hope is that a sermon like this would not just be a good pep talk, would not just leave us with a good convicted feeling as we walk out this morning, would not just lead us to diligence for a few days like Peter, James, and John before we go back to sleep, but would actually help us to grow in more consistent and diligent prayer. And so let me end by suggesting three things that I think may help us grow in this and make effort and progress in a life of prayer. First, I think we need repentance. Because when we realize that we have not drawn near to God or prayed as He calls us to, this is not just a matter for bucking up and trying to do better. If we have not prayed as God calls us to pray, that is a sin of omission, and we should call it such. It's a sin of not doing what God has called us to do. And if that's the case, then our only proper response is to repent. It is to confess that sin to God and seek God's forgiveness in Christ. And the blessing for us as God's people is that if we have put our faith in Christ, repentance is not just a a matter for, for shame, but we can repent with the joy of God's promise that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of our sin for the sake of Christ who lived and died and rose again for us. Of course, repentance means to turn around. So repentance is not just asking for God's forgiveness and letting that take care of things. It's also to change our behavior. But if we have not prayed as we ought, don't just resolve to do better. Repent. Seek God's forgiveness. Trust His forgiveness in Christ. And then pray. Pray at all times in the Spirit with all supplication. Second, I think we need theological truth. A number of years ago, there was an author by the name of Sam Storms who wrote a book on prayer, and he chose this as the subtitle to his book. Every problem in prayer is traceable to a misconception about God. Every lack or failure in prayer is ultimately a reflection that we have not believed something truly about God. He argues that many of us have a sneaking suspicion that has crept into our hearts that prayer does not actually work. He says, for many of us, prayer has become a bit like mowing the lawn. It's necessary, it's good, but it's hardly gratifying and a bit of a chore. And yet God has intended prayer as a means of great blessing. And just think of what we know to be true of God if we believe that God is all-powerful if we believe that God has loved us in Christ, if we believe that God has promised to hold us fast and to sanctify us in Christ, and if we believe as God has told us that prayer is a gift of God's grace and the means by which God does all of those things in us, then prayer becomes an immeasurable blessing. And we will not need to try to make prayer a priority. If those things are true, prayer will become our desire. And priority because of what is true and what God has promised and finally we need I think some practical help I would suggest a few practical helps first as we pray at all times on a daily basis we should never go through a day of praying without also reading scripture because scripture is how God speaks to us In Scripture, prayer ceases to be a monologue and becomes a dialogue as we pray and God speaks to us in Scripture. I would also suggest that we use practical helps to keep track of prayers, both for others and for ourselves. Maybe that's a prayer journal. Maybe that's a simple notepad by your bed. Maybe that's a ring of flashcards with prayer requests on them. These will both help us to remember what to pray for, but written down prayer requests will also help us to intentionally notice when God answers prayer. It's so easy for us to pray about something and then not even acknowledge it or notice it when God answers, but written down prayer requests will help us to do so. And the more we see God answer prayer, the more we will be drawn in to pray. And finally, I'd encourage us to pray together. Find prayer partners. Pray in home fellowship groups. Plan to come in November to our praying church conference. Because ultimately we need not just individual lives of prayer, but a community, a church of those who pray together. And we ought to hold one another up that our church and our missionaries and our brothers and sisters around the world would be held before the throne of God in a life of prayer. Well, let me end with this. Paul calls us to be ready with our armor by praying at all times in the Spirit with all supplication, with all perseverance for all the saints for the effectiveness of the gospel. But as we pray, maybe we can close with this thought. Remember what prayer is. Prayer is our invitation to, be, to come into the presence of the God of the universe and to gain his ear. How is that possible? How is it possible for you and I in our time of need when we desire to come and have the attention of God himself? It's possible because of Christ. Christ's death on the cross took away hostility between sinful man and a holy God. And Christ's resurrection and union with us has made us sons and daughters of God that allow us to walk into the throne room of God at any time in our hour of need, in our moment of delight, or whenever we desire fellowship with him. And what a blessing that is. And so may we not neglect this gift, but enter it with diligence and joy and thanksgiving to the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Father, you've called us to pray. You've told us that prayer is your gift to us. You've reminded us this morning that prayer is how we put your armor on. It is how we find fellowship with you. How I pray that we would be quick to repent of neglecting this gift and quick to pursue and to take hold of this gift at all times in the Spirit, with all supplications, with all perseverance, for all the saints, for the sake of the gospel. How we thank you for this gift. Would you call us more into your presence and give us greater diligence for the sake of your name? We pray it for Christ's sake. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, Contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.